Welcome to Blockchain Explained, the podcast about opportunities, challenges, and trends in blockchain technology. Whether you're a beginner or an expert, a developer, or just crypto curious, this podcast is for you. It features industry leaders and government officials discussing the world of distributed ledgers, cryptocurrencies, and the metaverse. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Rick Schaffen and Kelly Wicker. As Barbie fever takes over the world, we wanted to re-release a December 2022 interview with Jordan Waldesser, Mattel's Director of Legal and Business Affairs, as a special bonus episode of Blockchain Explained. Barbie and other iconic toys like Hot Wheels have long been collectibles, and they loom large in American and even global culture. Jordan joined my co-host Alan to talk about NFTs, digital collectibles, and how they fit in with Mattel's physical collectibles. Listen now for more from Jordan about how the blockchain enables Mattel to create digital collectibles that are as precious as physical, how they're blending digital and physical play for the next generation, and his thoughts on the blockchain's utility at large. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm Alan Rekshaf, and I chair the Digital Assets Forum at the Wilson Center. And we are very honored today to have our first guest for our Wilson Center podcast talking about digital assets. And today with us is um, Jordan Waldasser, who's the Director of Legal and Business um, Affairs at Mattel. And many of you might ask why we're having somebody from Mattel come and talk about digital assets. And so I'm going to open this with letting Jordan tell you a little bit about what he's been doing at Mattel with regards to digital assets. And I'll tell a little bit of a story as a background before um, Jordan takes over and tell you that my experience in the NFT marketplace is I've been watching the growth of NFTs and the subsequent contraction of the NFT marketplace. Um, I bought some NFTs. I bought some NFTs that look like baseball players. I bought some that look like mutant various animals. And there was a very uh, big movement around NFTs last year where people were using them to collect, to make money, to do all sorts of things, to play games that they had to have utility. Some of the excitement has come out of the market. And in that evolution from this exciting market where people thought this was a place to make millions of dollars, people are seeing that there's a new market for collectibles. And that's why I asked Jordan to be with us today to talk a little bit about where the status is of what was the NFT marketplace, what was digital assets that you've heard of, the headlines of the mutant uh, apes and and all other sorts of famous ones. And maybe Jordan can fill us in a little bit about what people are looking at in the corporate sector at this growing NFT marketplace. Jordan, uh, turn it over to you. Sure, yeah, well, you hit on a lot of really important topics. Uh, that are relevant for today and for why a company like Mattel is getting involved in this space and, in fact, led the way in this space. Um, And I'll start with collectibles. Uh, That's a major portion of what makes digital assets and NFT, non-fungible tokens, so interesting is the collectability. So you may not immediately think about Uh, a toy company being on the the cutting edge or bleeding edge of technology. But if you were to go back and and look at the toy industry, you would be surprised to see that they are often at the forefront of a lot of very interesting technological advancements. Sometimes we're too early 
uh, sometimes we're a little late and sometimes uh, we're right on the money and, and we hit it when um, everything is is going very well. So um, NFTs, digital assets, are, I think, maybe the next evolution or the next extension of a collectible that doesn't just exist in physical space. Uh, it exists in the digital space. And that comes with its own problems, uh, its own features, its own benefits, and its own disadvantages. And Mattel is really looking into this space to see what we can do. Uh, ultimately, toys are about having fun. Uh, toys are about education, they're about play, uh, they're about experience, uh, but digital assets in, in what we're trying to do uh, should be fun, should be interesting. So uh, there's a, a couple different projects that we've worked on, and then there's a whole lot more projects that we are working on currently uh, around digital assets, but also the metaverse, Web3, whatever buzzword you want to use. Um, but I think it's a, it's a really interesting, maybe uh, it's a really interesting area to be utilizing this technology because of some of the functionality that it offers. And what does the idea of NFTs or collectibles, as you're calling them, have to do with the blockchain? How does how, how are these two things connected? And um, is it necessary to do a digital collectible on the blockchain, or could it be done off a blockchain? What does that, the evolution of that technology have to do with what, what your company is doing um, in terms of collectibles? See, that's a really great question. And, uh, you know, if I had to coin my entire philosophy in the space, I think I'm a blockchain skeptic optimist. Uh, all three of those things are, are put together because there's some really interesting facets about the blockchain, which I'll get into, that make it unique from anything else that we've had before. So to go back on your question, when we think about collectibles, and, and we can go through the history of, of collectibles, um, but I'll start with one that I think is near and dear to all of us, and that is baseball cards. Okay, that's maybe not the original, but, but certainly a, a prevalent physical collectible. And those are things that you can trade. They're things that you can um, buy, sell, display. You can fold them and put them in your bicycle tires, whatever you want to do. And, uh, and, and presumably they provide some enjoyment to the user, if not some value, uh, because there are people out there that, that want to collect those things. Toys, of course, are in that space too. People have been collecting uh, Barbie and Hot Wheels, uh, Matchbox for decades. Um, because it's a, it's a passion, it's a hobby. There's something that calls out to them from these objects and, uh, and, and they want to build their own collection or trade them and buy them. They think there's something interesting there. When it comes to digital assets and when it comes to the blockchain, it's allowing us as a company to do something that we've never really been able to do. And that is take a digital asset, whether it is a, an image or piece of art, or perhaps even some functionality uh, that we want to uh, basically make digitally tradable and, and put that on the internet in a way where people can trade it with some confidence that it has uh, you know, a proper uh, and, and valid origin. It has good provenance. 
that it has trades that can be monitored in uh, a database. And what and, and you brought up one interesting point, Alan, that I want to touch on. And that was, you know, we have blockchain, but we also have just regular databases. So you could and can and do have things that are collectible digitally that's stored in a centralized database. Okay, one company owns it, one company controls it, you can access it, you can change ownership, whether that's through APIs or other methods, but that is all stored in one place. Uh, it, it may be pseudo public, maybe you can see all the transactions that have occurred, maybe you can't, it depends how the, the database is set up. For blockchain, what's really interesting about this is that that database can be distributed. So it's not just one company that controls it. It's not one company that sets the rules. It can be a consortium. It can be none at all. It can be this idea that this database is going to persevere and outlast any changes that occur at a single company, uh, any changes in technology, someone forgetting and unplugging the server, uh, something like that. So it's a completely new and an innovative technology that can be leveraged uh, a bit differently than what would be like a, a traditional database. And with with the evolution of blockchain technology, um, how is that playing into this idea of a metaverse that's on the blockchain? And, and how do you fit these components of collectibles within this idea of a metaverse? Yeah, so so that's really is really, really interesting and something that Mattel in particular is looking into. I mean, we've, we've already had collectibles that we've offered uh, through NFTs and with uh, some interesting features and things that, that I can talk about later. Uh, but then there's this idea of the metaverse. So there's always an analogy, I think, to the physical world. So we can collect things physically and fashion is a great representation of that. I can go and I can I can buy, you know, this year's or last year's or 30 years ago, um, a bag from Gucci. I could buy loafers. I could buy um, a Margiela jacket, name it, shoes, anything, whatever it is. And, and I can have them physically. I can wear them about. I can, I can wear them to the grocery store. I can sell them. I can lend them to friends to enjoy at a party, whatever it might be. Um, that's what we understand in the physical space. But as time goes on and we're spending more time in the digital space, there's this idea that we want to be able to do the same thing that we do physically in the digital space. So from a collectibles perspective, this idea that you can have collectibles uh, that maybe you've purchased or you've taken ownership of in a different context applied to another context. And, and that is both the, the beauty, but also the difficulty, I think, of having collectibles in the metaverse. Because whatever party, whatever company, whatever platform you have that is, is presenting a metaverse to you, whether that's Roblox or um, Fortnite or, or something even in the future, that platform has to be ready to represent those collectibles in that space. And that's not something 
at the moment that is automatically done, maybe in the future, uh, but it's not something that's happening today. So I want to drill down a little bit more on the metaverse. And I want to hear about some of the innovations that Mattel's doing in particular and some of the fun stuff. But um, I, I want to talk about some of the more global issues. First of all, is there some sensitivity to encouraging um, overuse of technology over physical world stuff for kids? I mean, you, my, my children always want to be on their phones. And that's I think that that's not a great thing. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering what the sensitivity is to that. If we're making collectibles something that exists in a virtual world, um, how much are we sensitive to the fact that we're steering children away from the real, real world? Yeah, that's it's something that I know as a company, Mattel thinks about quite often. Um, uh, I look to our, our Fisher-Price brand, and Fisher-Price is the number one uh, known toy company throughout the entire world. Okay, it's, it's, it's the most trusted. And they do a tremendous amount of research every year, both on physical products, but also on, on digital products as well. Because the age where children are starting to interact with digital products, whether or not that's a phone or video games or otherwise, is becoming younger and younger and younger every year. And there is huge value in imaginative play, in, in role play, in physical play, um, so much that we learn inherently comes from play and with toys. And even if that's something as simple as playing with a ball uh, on the playground or water or sand, uh, anything like, or, or building blocks, any materials like this, we learn so much intuitively about physics, about um, you know our own bodies, how we can react, how fast or not so fast we can react to certain things, or what's difficult or not difficult, um, and and there's certainly value there. So it's something that we consider uh, as a company. We know that our customers are there and are interested in that, but we also want to, and in some cases, want to blend the two together. And we call that connected play. So that may be things that exist in a physical space, but are augmented digitally. And uh, and, and we've got some great examples of, of that, if I can indulge you for a second. There's a, a product that uh, is in development now that Mattel has um, partnered with a, a company called Velen Studios. And the idea is being able to take a remote control race car that exists in physical space, but then augment uh, what you see, that uh, racetrack that you create around the living room with a phone, with a, a digital representation, so that when you're driving the, the vehicle, um, it, whether it's augmented reality or, or whatever term you want to use, you can actually see a digital overlay on top of that. So maybe you're, you're collecting coins or going through gates and those gates don't exist in the physical space. They exist in the digital space, but we've married the two together uh, in a way that is on top of each other. So um, it's, it's something that we, we think about both as opportunity, but certainly as, as risk too, because physical play will always be very important. And, and when you create these collectibles, if there becomes a market for them, how, how are you navigating the lack of regulatory clarity on this stuff? Because there's some question if an 
if a N NFT, I'm sorry to use the word NFT. I know you like to use the word collectible. Sure. But if an NFT is a security or what it is exactly, and I'm wondering how you're thinking about that from the legal perspective, because you sort of wear both hats from the legal side and the and mm -hmm. the uh, business side, how you're thinking about that in trying to plan a future for a company, not just Mattel, but any company, how they should be thinking about getting into this space um, when there is some some a large degree of regulatory uncertainty and you know, with the president's executive order and Congress taking this up, um, how are you thinking about it and how, how are other your colleagues thinking about the um, regulatory landscape right now? Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that we spend a lot of time and energy looking into. And, and ultimately, there was a risk assessment that we had to make about what are these digital collectibles, these NFTs going to be categorized? Now, I feel very strongly that um, the, the collectibles that, that Mattel sells aren't uh, securities. You know, they're, um, you know, if, if anything, they're, they're really a token and it's not intended for monetary use. It's not something that uh, um, we encourage we don't encourage speculation. We don't encourage people to use it as an asset that um, you know is going to make them money to buy, sell, trade, things like that. You know, we we are very clear that these are digital collectibles. They are fun, um, and what we've tried to do from an analysis standpoint is look at uh, what has occurred in the past and stick with those analogies. Um, and that's especially important, not just when it comes from a regulatory, from a, a securities law perspective, but from an intellectual property perspective. There's, I think, a, a dearth of uh, maybe misinformation, maybe disinformation, and certainly confusion about what ownership rights a holder of a digital collectible has. And thankfully, the flexibility that we have in our current law and our current regulations, I think is sufficient enough to, to cover most of the uses that are occurring now. And, and I'm going to exclude for a moment, um, you know, more of the FinTech side of things. That's a little bit different and, and those have different concerns. This is just purely digital collectibles. But I think the existing infrastructure, the existing framework works fairly well. And, uh, and the analogy that we use, again, going back to my earlier example, is that digital collectibles are much akin to digital baseball cards. Uh, it's the same kind of concept. You can, you know, you may be able to use them in different ways, depending on the, whether it's the platform functionality or whatever that might be. But uh, at the end of the day, the IP rights act just like they do for baseball cards, the securities, the regulations are just like baseball cards. So we're always very careful about marketing. We're always very careful about data collection. Uh, especially if children are involved. And for all of our um, our NFT or digital collectibles offerings uh, that we've publicly announced, they're all uh, aiming to the direction of, of older markets. So, you know, that may change, uh, but but it's something that we we think a lot about and uh, and we always try to stay on top of it. And that's why, you know, I'm talking to you, Alan, is, is to make sure that uh, we're able to have a voice and a seat at the table to um, really form what those regulations and, and what those laws look like in the future. Has has is the old game of NFTs over? You know where you have people would go into the Discord, which is a, a platform for 
discussing stuff and hype up a or discuss their their community in their community a specific nft and people would go in and buy it and they'd find some perhaps real world utility for it you got to go to a party if you owned one of these nfts is that game over because that was something where if you drew a picture and made a 10,000 variations on it you could make 10 million dollars overnight um and i'm just wondering is is that is, has that come to an end? And is that because of the regulate? If it has, has, is that because of the regulatory side or is it something else, an evolution in the actual thinking about what NFTs should be used for? Yeah, great question. I think, um, I think and I hope that that phase is over. I think, um, and, and, and certainly from what I saw, there were coordinated efforts, there were people that, were using digital collectibles, NFTs, as a method of speculation. You know, they were going out onto discords, they were hyping, they were pumping up the value of certain NFTs when there really wasn't any value there at all. And I think that's the key. The, the key to the value for a digital collectible is its functionality. And I think um, it wasn't anything regulatory. You know, I, I don't think there was any government action or anything really that affected this. Well, I'll call it a bubble because I think that's what it was. It wasn't anything government related that that popped that bubble or, or is causing a retraction in the market. I think it was just the free market properly valuing these digital collectibles. Uh, and, and some examples of that, when you have a digital collectible that refers to a piece of artwork, uh, and maybe there's 10,000 copies. The, the issue with that, and there's ownership issues aside, by the way, because chances are, even though you purchased an NFT that linked to a piece of artwork, that you didn't own that artwork. Uh, the digital nature uh, of the internet means, and, and this has become a meme, um, and, and sort of the, the counter call to NFTs and digital collectibles is that you can just right-click, copy, and paste, and look, I stole your NFT gross oversimplification of what's happening legally, but a, a practical reality as well. So, you know, what did someone own when, when they just have a, basically a hyperlink to a, an image that exists out on the internet? There's not much value to that. I think where the value resides in digital collectibles is how, and, and to overuse the word, how digitally speaking, those tokens can be used. And, and you hinted at that, Alan. You hinted at the idea that, ah, if I am possessing a token, an NFT, a digital collectible, that it's going to unlock something, perhaps in the physical world, access to a party, okay, uh, you know, access to a group, uh, or maybe even something as banal as changing or, or allowing it to be displayed as a profile picture in social media. Um, those are potential functionalities that have value. Um, Mattel did this, okay? There were some drops or offerings of digital collectibles that we had that were purely uh, art. So it, it was the, um, you know, the, the excitement of being able to own a digital collectible that was verifiably from Mattel and that linked to unique Mattel art. Some of the other things and where we're starting to go with this to add value to those digital collectibles is unlocking functionality. So we did some really fun things with our Hot Wheels NFT garage 
which instead of auctioning or, or buying specific NFTs, we created, again, the digital baseball card pack, where you would purchase, uh, you know, a user would purchase a card pack that has three NFTs in it. You don't know what they are until you open it. When you open it, you know, there's different rarities, uh, you know, common, rare, very rare, and then what we call treasure hunt cards. And some of these NFTs, some of these digital collectibles had, uh, you know, a feature built into it that at a certain point in time, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days after the launch, whoever was the holder of that token would be entitled to receive a very limited edition Hot Wheels car. So now all of a sudden that digital collectible had verifiable value Be, and people wanted to trade it. And, and because at the end, you know, whenever that time horizon hit, whoever held it would actually get this physical thing. And that's a very simple example. There's other examples out there and other things that Mattel is developing where ownership of these tokens may unlock certain functionalities, whether it's in in games or metaverse experiences or being ported into this or that. Um, there's certainly things that we're, we're looking into to add and create value to those collectibles. Do you, do you see the blockchain as, as its utility to being creating collectibles or do you see it, you know, everyone talks about the blockchain being web 3.0 and the next evolution of humanity in some sense, you know, it, that we're, we're going from where we were with the web, where you have a centralized organization of the web and centralized organization of information to a decentralized organization. But it seems like the most utility has come from collectibles or before that NFTs in the form of the bubble that you described. And I'm wondering, do you see uses for the blockchain outside of the collectible space? Because that seems to be the greatest use case for the the blockchain technology aside from cryptocurrencies and and the DeFi, um is that really the real world real world opportunity in blockchain is in collectibles or do you see it as much broader than that uh i think it's broader than that so initially initially speaking i think it's it's great for collectibles it's it's great for other things too uh certainly supply chain has some really interesting applications. Um, the risk is, and, and this is why I'm a bit skeptical, is that many, if not most, of the solutions that blockchain is purported to bring are really solutions in search of a problem. So going back to what I originally said about what is unique about blockchain, um, it, it's not that it's a database. It's not that it's publicly facing. We can make private databases like that anytime. Mattel could have done that. Mattel could have um, issued digital collectibles uh, whose you know, information was stored in a private database that Mattel held. The difference is, and, and I think this is the key point, is that the database is no longer owned and controlled by one entity. So it's almost like taking a step back. And this is going to take cooperation in an industry, uh, it's going to take widespread adoption. It's, it's going to be um, really what I'm talking about is, is kind of boring. It's the protocols. So I could see potentially uh, in the future where you have a blockchain that is designed and agreed to by a whole number of 
collectible companies or toy companies or baseball card or whatever it may be, you know, signatures, it would be the standard that you would use. And what's beneficial about that is if one company goes out of business or is purchased or, or spun off, you don't have to worry about the longevity of that digital database because it exists amongst an entire group and it should in theory, never go away. And the rules by which that blockchain operates uh, remain static, or if anything, if they do change, they have to be changed by a majority of the groups involved. So I think that's the power. So that applies to collectibles, certainly. But I think the blockchain can be used for so many other things. And, and the key to me, in my mind, is those uses that span outside of a single company. So um, I think, you know, and, and, and this is what's great is that there's a million opportunities out there that I just don't know about uh, and, and that are going to be able to use this technology, whether it's medical technology, where we don't really have a centralized database or one company doesn't have access to everything. Having a, a blockchain that's able to somehow store medical information could be really useful. Um, supply chain, like I mentioned before, where, uh, you know, getting getting a toy from point A to point B is, is not as easy as loading it on a ship and, and, and having it magically appear a few months later. There's so many databases and, and uh, numbers and logistics that go into that. And those are all on separate systems, all in separate databases. So it's a really interesting idea to, you know, have a consortium, have a group of, of companies uh, vertically or horizontally say, hey, let's all use this. And then we don't have to worry about someone losing access to this or monopolizing data or, um, or, or making edits to data that they shouldn't. So I think those are where we're going to see a lot of innovation and a lot of solutions because of blockchain. So, so join in some because uh, um, we're we're limiting our podcast. Although I would like to talk to you for about two hours or more <laughs> about this. And the opportunity to talk to somebody who works at a toy company, I can't imagine anything I'd rather do than that than talk, spend spend a day with you. Maybe you'll invite me to to come see the the <laughs> come see Santa's workshop one day. But um, but uh, what what do you see as the prospects for? this marketplace in terms of the regulations, if you were going to advise the regulators, because a, a lot of regulators listen to our podcast, mm -hmm. a lot of regulators are involved, other corporate leaders are involved in the Wilson Center and, and participate and, and hear the information that we share. What would you say to them is the prospects for this industry, for the blockchain, for digital assets, for them, that the regulators might want to encourage, that they might want to be careful of, um, the, the, the pitfalls in it? If you were going to summarize for regulators and for corporate executives, what message could you give them about the evolution of blockchain and digital asset technology right now? Yeah, I think, I think to the regulators, um, and, and this is my opinion, of course, but I, I think the quickest way to kill the potential for this technology would be to regulate it and, and to have a heavy hand on regulation, um, specifically for blockchain. And what I mean by that is there are so many opportunities that we need our inventors and entrepreneurs to, to tackle without having to worry about the administrative burden of figuring out what a governmental agency meant by some diktat or something that they've 
you know, some guidance that they've issued or, or rules that they propose to enforce, uh, because it's, you know, it would be like regulating the internet at the very early stage. And, and that was probably one of the, the most insightful, in my opinion, um, pieces or reasons for the success of the internet was the very loose regulation that came with it at the beginning. And in fact, even enshrining uh, some protections under like the uh, section 230 of the CDA uh, to allow people to experiment without the, the fear of liability. Um, so I, I think there are serious concerns about what people can and, and shouldn't do with the blockchain. But I think those concerns can be handled by regulation that we already have on the books. So if it's HIPAA, if it's uh, you know healthcare information, um, personally identifiable information, if it is um, uh, you know you name it, controlled substances, whatever that is going to be attached to this blockchain technology, those regulations exist and can be used there. And this is especially important in the fintech space. Uh, and if there was any space that needed, I'm not going to say regulation, but needed monitoring and enforcement of existing regulations, it's probably in the fintech space, because that, I think there's an opportunity and perhaps a, a danger to, um, uh, that blockchain would enable fraudulent uh, activity or, or, or um, you know, activity that we wouldn't want to encourage. So, so I think from a regulation standpoint, hands-off is probably better and to use the existing tools that we have to go after bad actors or, or to make sure that that rights and privacies are, are being upheld. Um, from, from the corporate side of things, I think, uh, you know, and th this is where I'm optimistic. I think there's going to be great opportunities for, for using blockchain. Uh, the key is going to be strategy. Uh, showing up at a board meeting and saying, oh, we're going on the blockchain is not a good strategy. And it, that's, that's a terrible strategy. I think there needs to be a problem that blockchain solves instead of a solution that you're trying to fit in, um, you know, that a blockchain solution that you're just trying to fit in because it sounds cool or because your investors might like it or it looks great on a deck. Uh, I, I think there needs to be strategy there and, um, you know, and a lot of critical thinking about whether it's needed, because right now, maybe it's not needed uh, for a lot of different assets of the business, uh, but there's going to be a bridge in the future that we'll all have to cross about whether we want that private information, that private database, whatever it might be, to, um, to move to the blockchain. And I think that's something that businesses should start thinking about, um, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the line. Jordan, I want to thank you so much for being here. Jordan Walbesser from uh, from Mattel. Um, of course, everything that Jordan shared with us today are his views, not the views of the Wilson Center, maybe not even necessarily the views of Mattel. Um, but we are very happy to have you here to have shared your views on our on our premier podcast. We're going to um, have a Wilson Center Digital Assets podcast once a month. As everybody knows, we have the Digital Assets Forum and Digital Assets Lab at the Wilson Center. I'm 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 blessed to be able to chair that effort. Um, but 
people like you, Jordan, and, and other uh, uh, leaders in the industry and leaders in the regulatory space and, and from the executive branch who've helped us grow this within Wilson allows us to bring, really bring information to people. And I, I really appreciate this opportunity to help keeping people in the know. And that's what we're going to do with this Wilson Center podcast. And we want to thank you very much for being here today, Jordan. Well, thank you. And it's a pleasure. And I look forward to working with all of you in the future. Terrific. Thank you, Jordan. We'll see you again soon. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Blockchain Explained. Please note, nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Want more clear-eyed analysis of this exciting technology? Search for Digital Assets Forum at the Wilson Center for research, event recordings, and more. Want to ask our hosts a question? Write to stip, S-T-I-P, at wilsoncenter.org with your thoughts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Blockchain Explained.